0: Why has New York gone from a beacon of liberty to a state that people now flee in droves? And why are people moving to places like Florida, New Hampshire, and South Dakota? Way back in the early 2000s, Jason Sorens paired up with AIER President William Ruger to find out.
1: I wanted to understand, where did New York go wrong? Because New York used to be a beacon of freedom in a lot of ways and attracted people as a result. And built a a strong economy, a stock market, you know, big financial sector, big uh, arts and entertainment sector. Because of the the freedom that enjoyed, it just had a a dynamic society.
0: Jason joined me on Liberty Curious to discuss their book, Freedom in the 50 States, and the interactive tool that measures economic and personal freedom across American states. Jason Sorens is senior research faculty and founder of the New Hampshire Free State Project. We discuss the freest and least free states and voting with your feet.
1: So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was He's telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law.
0: Jason also emphasizes the role of individuals in changing policies and promoting freedom in their states. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to check it out on Apple, Google, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And let us know what you think in the comments below. This is more than a book. This is also, there's a website that has this kind of interactive tool that you can see how free your state is. So can you tell me about this book and about the project in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's all built on this huge data set, uh, more than 230 policies that we measure for all 50 states uh, for 23 years from 2000 up to 2023. So it's, uh, it's a, a really big project, um, and what we're trying to do uh, is to measure government respect for freedom as scientifically and objectively as we can for the American states. And so we first started this project, I think it was way back in 2007, was when we really first started working on it. Uh, We figure that people needed a tool that looked at both economic and personal freedom to figure out maybe where to live um, and where their own states did well, did badly, and how they could hold their politicians accountable. And so I um, asked around to all these policy experts and political scientists that I knew and no one was interested in doing it with me other than Will. And so <laughs> we put it together and we, we published our first edition in February 2009. Uh, Will was actually serving in Afghanistan at the time. So, uh, so I, I did all the, the media related to that. But it's been really um, f- sort of fruitful and, and uh, rewarding to see where it's come. We've expanded it a lot. Uh, over the years, in just this latest edition, we added new abortion policies because that's changed a lot in the wake of the Dobbs decision. Uh, we added a lot of state-level housing policies. That's another hot issue these days uh, with, with housing affordability, a big problem in a lot of the U.S. Um, and you know, we've also seen how these trends have changed. You know, Over the last 22 years now, we can see whether freedom is rising or falling overall. Uh, we can see why it's rising or falling, and we can look at the effects of freedom on things like growth. You know, we looked at this back in 2009 and found some results, and now we have data from a lot more recent years. So if those results hold up, it really gives us a, uh, a lot of confidence that what we what we see is actually a causal relationship and not just a correlation between freedom and growth. <laughs>
0: So maybe uh, later on, we can get to whether America is overall more free or not than it was when you started this. Um, But first, let's talk a little bit about personal freedom and economic freedom. So, you know, this is something that I think these two things are really, really intertwined. And um, I would like to know, you know, how you may think they're intertwined and why you decided to study both and not just economic freedom, or just personal freedom?
1: Yeah, it is hard to, to draw distinctions among them. Um, we think that economic and personal freedom are uh, are really part of the same thing, right? And, and the way we understand freedom is your ability to dispose of your life, liberty, and property as you see fit consistent with the same rights of everyone else. Um, so it's a classic American definition of freedom. And I think it's indisputable that governments take away <laughs> freedom uh, in a lot of ways, and we want to see which states take away freedom the least. You know, it's not the only thing that's important in a state: um, having good government, not being corrupt, being efficient. Right? Those are those are things that are valuable that are maybe different from freedom. Um, but freedom, we think, is is really a core, essential value uh, for figuring out which states respect. Um, justice the most, yeah, which are the most just states in a way. And um, yeah, so um, we we look at that. And, um, and I, can, can you repeat the, the rest of your question? Because I, there's a part of yeah. it I'm, I'm sure I'm not getting to.
0: Yeah, sure. No problem. So what I just like to really see is, you know, kind of why did you decide to focus on both of them? You know, yeah. I, and I guess you said they're hard to separate, But how do you separate them? Like, what is the difference kind of broadly for our viewers?
1: Right. So um, personal freedom has to do with policies that um, infringe on your ability to make decisions about your own life. Um, So one of the ways we think about this is freedom from paternalism. So here we've got Hmm. policies that seem to have more of a paternalistic justification um, you're not you're not doing the right things. So we have to force you to do the right thing. Right. So in there, we've got gun rights, uh, marijuana laws, alcohol laws, gambling laws, uh, tobacco laws. Um, educational freedom is a big part of that, including mm-hmm. school choice, um, criminal justice policies in general, like arrest rates for victimless crimes. Uh, we have civil asset forfeiture in there. Um, Your your freedom to give money to political candidates, so campaign finance freedom is another part of this. Um, So those are all, and and lots of other miscellaneous things like fireworks laws and uh, whether raw milk is legal and all sorts of other things. Um, But what they all seem to have in common is that they have to do with um, sort of lifestyle issues and your ability to kind of um, choose for yourself without the threat of punishment. Um, And then in economic freedom, we include um, taxes and spending and kind of size of government issues. Uh, We also have regulations that more affect business or property rights. Um, So land use and energy freedom, um, deregulation of utilities, uh, occupational licensing, labor laws, health insurance regulation, um, the quality of the civil court system, things like that are things that could affect your ability to enjoy the fruits of your labor and to start a business and things like that.
0: Okay. Um, now which state is the most free and why does it, does it meet, yeah. you know, the threshold for, for personal and economic freedom? Is that, is that how you judge the free state?
1: Yeah. So we just add together economic and personal freedom and whichever state is is highest on that sum is our overall freest state. But in general, states that are high on overall freedom have to be uh, pretty good on both of both economic and personal freedom. Um, and our number one state this time is New Hampshire. Uh, so they've uh, they've been number one for um, about five years now, and they've improved a lot. They've always been good. We show that they were number one back in, in the year 2000. Uh, then they lost the title briefly to Nevada and then South Dakota and Florida for just a little bit. Um, but they've got it back because uh, they've just improved so much that, um, in fact, this year, they New Hampshire's score was the highest we've ever seen for any state. Um, and they have kind of a big lead now on Florida, which is our number two state.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. Most people, when they think about free states, they think about New Hampshire, they think about Florida. Um, they might think about Texas too, in some ways, you know, especially in the last few years, I think a lot of people have kind of gravitated towards places that have, uh, the least stringent COVID policies, right? So that kind of really Mm -hmm. affected, uh, people's perception about what constitutes a free state or not. Um, so, what, what are kind of the differences that you've seen with Florida and New Hampshire? Like, why does why is Florida less free?
1: So Florida and New Hampshire are very close on economic freedom. New Hampshire is still number one on just economic freedom. Uh, but New Hampshire is significantly higher on personal freedom. Uh, Florida actually does well on personal freedom, but it's not one of the very top states there. Actually, our top state on personal freedom is Nevada, which... Mm. might not be a big surprise um right what happens in Nevada stays in Nevada i guess but um <laughs> but uh yeah so so New Hampshire and Florida they're they're both distinguished by very low tax burden um so in fact their their tax burden is less than half the tax burden in the highest tax state which is New York um so that's a, a big advantage um actually our number 3 state South Dakota also has a really low Um, tax burden. They both tend to have a lot of um, regulatory freedom. Florida has an advantage over New Hampshire in terms of uh, land use regulation and energy freedom. Uh, Hmm. So housing costs less in Florida than New Hampshire because uh, building is regulated less. Um, Florida actually has a law that requires localities to compensate property owners if they undertake certain kinds of regulation that that limit their property rights so that's really discouraged an explosion of exclusionary zoning in florida um, there's still some but not as much as there is in some other states and that's really kind of new hampshire's maybe main failing uh, is is having um excessive land use regulation which has driven up housing costs there
0: mm-hmm. also
1: florida has a right to work law so does south dakota texas does too um, New Hampshire does not have that, but on the other hand, and what is that? A right to work law. So that um, that makes it so that uh, employees do not have to pay so-called agency fees to a labor union in order to get a job. Uh, so, in principle, you could say that this is a limitation on freedom because it says that. Um, you know, you have, a- you have access to a job from a private employer, even if you're not paying these agency fees. And maybe, um, maybe some employers uh, in a free market would want you to pay fees to a union. But that seems unlikely. What's actually going on here, and the reason we think right-to-work laws are pro-freedom, is that in the U.S., um, if a majority of your co-workers votes to join a union, your employer is forced to recognize that union and to bargain with it. And you as an employee are covered by that uh, collective bargaining agreement, even if you don't want to be. So the government Mm -hmm. has already put a fat, not just thumb on the scale, but it's fist on the scale in favor of labor unions and really limiting the freedom of employers and employees to bargain individually if they want to. And so we see right to work as restoring some of that freedom because very, very few employers would say, no, we want to force you to join a union. That's not, <laughs> that's not what most uh, employers would want. Um, so a right-to-work law kind of restores a little bit of what would be the free market labor relationship in the absence of the federal law that mandates collective bargaining. Um, so it's, it's an advantage. I mean, economically, the research shows that um, especially manufacturers seek out states that have a right-to-work law.
0: Right. So you actually end up having more jobs and you end up having probably more opportunities available. I mean, that's a whole other discussion on unions that maybe we can get into one day. Cause I think uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings about that. And a lot yeah. of people tend to just be pro union because they're used to it. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ways that that actually can hurt them as workers too. Um, so you just mentioned here, federal laws. Now, um, how does having a freer state kind of insulate you from federal government overreach?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in the U.S. federal law technically trumps state law uh, if it's constitutional. So, uh, you know, of courts think it's constitutional, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> You know, it can be hard for a state to insulate its citizens from federal overreach. You know, the main remedy is, is through the court system. But there are some things that you can do. And, and I think the, the very clearest example that people have is with marijuana legalization. So marijuana is illegal to possess and sell at the federal level. Um, but the federal government does not have the ability to enforce that law. Um, in most places. They rely heavily on states to enforce it. So if states don't want to, they don't have to enforce it. That's the other sort of side of the coin is that the federal government can't force states to do anything. And so a lot of states have legalized marijuana uh, for state law purposes. And even though it's federally illegal, you, you get a market in marijuana arising in these states. Uh, some states have done similar things with gun rights. So they have said that we're not going to cooperate with the federal government in enforcing gun laws. And, uh, and so that is another way of kind of enhancing uh, the freedom of citizens at the state level from federal regulation. There are, there are other areas where, where states could get involved. We, we definitely look at asset forfeiture, for example. Um, this is uh, a policy whereby law enforcement can sometimes seize your property, auction it off and keep the money uh, regardless of whether you've been even accused of a crime. Uh, so it seems <laughs> extremely <laughs> uh, anti-freedom and, and you would think unconstitutional, but it hasn't been held unconstitutional. And um, The federal government has pretty lax rules for asset forfeiture. So they can they can do this. They can take your property without you know, convicting you of a crime. Some states, though, have reformed asset forfeiture under state law so that state law enforcement can't take your property um, without convicting you of a, of a crime. But um, law enforcement sometimes tries to do an end run around state law where they will go to the federal government and say, especially in a drug case where you have a federal law that you could enforce, you say, well, we caught this guy under state law, but we could make this a federal case. Just give us a kickback from the asset forfeiture proceeds. And so that's a way of Mm. trying to get around asset forfeiture rules at the state level. So we actually measure to what extent are states doing this? Are they actually taking these funds from the federal government? Um, So we reward states that don't do this, that have both reformed under state law, and then don't try to get around state law by working with the feds to to seize people's property. Um, so that's just a few ways in which um, state governments can kind of protect themselves a little bit from federal overreach. And you know, one of the one of the things I think that that we observe is that when a state has a high degree of freedom. It makes, a, it makes a big difference in your overall level of freedom and your overall economic opportunities. And so Americans are moving from less free to freer states. Um, and that's a, that's a way you can, on a personal level, just increase the, the amount of freedom that you enjoy is to do that.
0: So now let's talk about some of the worst states. Uh, what are the lowest, the, the bottom five states and what's the worst one?
1: Yeah. So uh number forty six is Oregon. Um so they've declined a lot in recent years, especially by adopting mm-hmm. statewide um rent uh limits. That's a that's a big one that's knocked them down. Um mm. in New Jersey, number forty seven, uh forty-eight is California, forty-nine is Hawaii, and fifty is New York. Uh New York's been number fifty um uh, for the entire time that we've done the study. Um through our entire data set, so since the year 2000, so it's <laughs> it's definitely wow. the least free state, and it's also not coincidentally, we think uh, the the state that has had the biggest out migration over that entire period. In fact, New York has lost population relative to the country as a whole every single year since 1953. Uh, so it's a, it's a state wow. that's you know in relative decline. Um, compared to all the other states and you know they they just don't have the political leadership to get them out of that um now we do see that hawaii has has declined a lot in the last few years so hawaii might in future years actually rival new york for for least free state um, but it's not because new york has improved they've just kind of hit <laughs> rock bottom of stayed there <laughs>
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, that's that's really funny, Jason, because, you know, when outsiders look at the United States, they look at New York, they look at the Statue yeah. of Liberty, and that's like the American dream. You know, that's that old kind of American dream symbol. Yeah. Um. You know, the music, the culture, that that kind of idea of New York as being quintessentially American. So how do you think that um, that they went in that direction. You've said kind of since the '50s, people have been leaving. So, like, what happened to New
1: York? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, I looked at this uh, because I wanted I wanted to understand where did New York go wrong. Because New York used to be a beacon of freedom in a lot of ways and attracted people as a result and built a, a strong economy, a stock market, you know, big financial sector. Big uh, arts and entertainment sector, because of the the freedom that it enjoyed, it just had a dynamic. You know, just a dynamic society. And what I found was that actually the, some of these changes you can see the you can see the seeds of them as far back as the 1920s and 1930s, but they really only took off in the 1960s. Um, so it was uh, so this the New York State actually at, as a, at the state level had a lower-than-average tax burden all the way up until the 1960s. It had a mm-hmm. higher-than-average local tax burden, mostly because New York um, was almost like a state unto itself, New York City, uh, and raised a lot of taxes to provide public services there, like the subway. Um, but New York was not an extremely high-tax state until the 60s. Uh, and then New York City adopted its own income tax as well, so both the state and the city have an income tax. Uh, And it was really then that we start to see the decline really set in. And of course, New York uh, City went bankrupt in the 70s. So that's really the time when you can kind of see the malaise begin. And people uh, originally moved away from New York to Connecticut and New Jersey. Those were the kind of tax haven states right next to New York. New Jersey adopted an income tax in the late 60s. Connecticut adopted one in the early 90s. And now those are both high-tax states as well. <laughs> um, yeah. And so now the the number one state for New Yorkers to move to, can you guess? New Hampshire? No, it's Florida.
0: Okay, that was actually what I was thinking too. <laughs> was yeah. Between those two, I was thinking maybe New Hampshire is closer, but actually I do know somebody who moved to Florida from New York in the last few years as well, so
1: yeah. I mean, Florida is a much bigger state, so a lot more you know places where you can choose to live in. But... And, and you might think, oh, well, the, the New Yorkers who are moving to Florida, they're retirees, right? And they want the warm weather or something. Um, but we looked at all the census age group categories. That's like they divide people up into like seven or eight year categories by age. And they, they show migration, state to state migration. Uh, by by these age categories, and so the number one uh, age group moving from New York to Florida is actually 18 to 25 year olds. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's young people going to study or to start their career who are moving from New York to Florida, and we think that has a lot to do with economic opportunity. They're just not finding it in New York. In upstate New York, there are no jobs. Uh, in downstate New York, the cost of living is too high and that's partly a yeah. result of land use regulation, rent control and high taxes. Uh, so they move to places like Florida.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. So, you know, the, this idea about high taxes or kind of a lack of economic freedom, I think that there you have the perfect example of how you can see that kind of trickle out into personal freedom, because mm-hmm. I think that there's a mindset that goes along with the idea of high taxes, right? Like there's, and and the other things that you mentioned, this paternalism. So, and that reflects in the other areas of freedom as well. You know, how much room the state has in your life, I guess, right? Because if you have this kind of nanny state, Who's you know sucking up a lot of taxes and then using them you know to redistribute or for other projects or things like that you know is there is there something in what I'm saying here?
1: Yeah, and I think you're right, and and New York does badly on, on personal freedom as well, um, you know, especially on those personal freedoms that are not so politically correct for the left, right? So hmm. you know, New York yeah. has um, extremely high tobacco taxes, the highest in the country. They're so high that it's almost tantamount to prohibition. Um, and so there's a huge black market in cigarettes in New York city. In fact, this was, you may recall an incident a couple of years ago that got in the news when a, um, uh, a guy died in a police chokehold. I think his name was, um, yeah, I won't say his name cause I don't think I have it quite right, but, um, but he died in a police chokehold, and why were the police hassling him? Because he was selling loose cigarettes on the street. Um, wow. So yeah, so there's a big there's a big black market, and it results in police enforcement, and and that has in, in this case fatal consequences. Um, and it's just uh, it's very odd that as New York is legalizing marijuana, they're virtually prohibiting tobacco, which is indisputably less harmful. Um, and you know they didn't even quite get marijuana right because they had all these politically correct regulations about who's allowed to open a store like it had if you were a previous marijuana dealer then and went to prison for it then you got privileges for opening a marijuana store um, and so you ended up with a big still a big black market in uh, marijuana stores in new york city because of the regulations. So it wow. is, I think, a paternalistic mentality that government has to decide these things just right. They've got to fine-tune society. They've got to socially engineer us. Um, otherwise, uh, society's going to fall apart or something.
0: So what has been now in the course of 20 years or so that you've been doing this, what, what has kind of surprised you the most? What have been things that have come up or maybe things that have surprised you in the last edition that you've just published here?
1: Yeah, uh, there are are always plenty of surprises. Um, You know, one of the interesting things that we see, maybe it's not really a surprise when you you think about it, is what's happened to personal freedom at the state level. Um, So we show that personal freedom at the state level declined a little bit during the George W. Bush years in the 2000s, um, especially with a lot of morals legislation. But it's really shot up since then. So all states are getting better on personal freedom. And it's kind of across the board. It's not just, you know, sexuality issues like same-sex marriage or whatever, but it's also criminal justice. Um, states are incarcerating a lot fewer people. They're arresting a lot fewer people for victimless crimes. Um, so that's kind of a, a good story that, that we've seen. Um, you know, at the economic, in terms of economic freedom, states have also increased, but there have also been some big setbacks in recent years. Um, so it's more of a mixed mixed picture, and it depends on the issue. Um, you know, other, have, other other kind of interesting findings have to do with which states have improved the most. So the, the one state that's improved the most since the very beginning of our data, since 2000, we were very surprised. It's New Mexico. Um, and it's kind of interesting because New Mexico was number 48 in freedom all the way back in 2000. So it used to be one of the very least free states. Um, Now it's kind of average. (laughs) So, uh, you know, so it's uh, it's improved um, a lot, uh, but it's that's only gotten it to average. Um, But it's not what I would have expected because, uh, you know, it's become a kind of a bluer state over time, more democratic state. And you would have thought that maybe that would cause a decline in economic freedom, but it really hasn't. Their economic freedom has increased. Uh, and their personal freedom has increased a ton. So they've, they, they've gone the furthest with civil asset forfeiture reform. They abolished qualified immunity. Um, so they've done a lot of far reaching, uh, things on the, on the personal freedom side, especially kind of the more liberal freedoms. Um, and then the number one state in the last two years is surprisingly Connecticut. Connecticut's increased the most just the last two years. And, Mm. uh, you know, that was surprising, but it has mostly to do with the fact that they legalized marijuana and they also reformed qualified immunity. Um, and they've, you know, haven't seen a, any big tax increases, <laughs> which some states did see during the pandemic. Uh, so right. that explains why Connecticut was number one the last two years. Of course, Connecticut still scores badly and they've they've declined over the last 20 years, but in the last two years they did it They did it just fine. Um, yeah. So
0: have you also kind of seen a correlation between red states and blue states, like one, one or the other being more free?
1: Yeah, we find, we find a relationship with economic freedom. So deep blue states, states that are strongly democratic, are a lot less free economically. And those tend to dominate the bottom of the list on overall freedom as well because of that, because of the economic freedom side of things. Um, and we, we also find evidence that this is a, uh, this is a causal impact. So we look at changes in partisanship and then how that affects changes in freedom. And we do find a statistically significant relationship. Um, So you could also look at states that have gone the other way, like uh, West Virginia has gone from deep blue to deep red. And as a result, it's increased a fair bit on economic freedom and on certain personal freedom issues like school choice. Uh, So they've Hmm. done a lot of uh, deregulation there. Um, they, they implemented, um, school choice. So, uh, you know, West Virginia is a good, a good example of how a state becoming more Republican does tend to, to increase freedom, but we don't see so much of a relationship, um, comparing purple States to deep red States. So purple States are just as free as deep red States. Um, and so we're not entirely sure why that is. It could um, reflect, in part, the role of federal policy. So when the federal government gives grants to states, say, from Medicaid and programs like that, it incentivizes those states to raise their own money because these are matching grants. And so they, you know, there are probably a lot of red states that have a higher tax burden than they would really like to have if the federal government weren't really incentivizing them to have that high tax burden. Um, so yeah, so that's basically what we find on, on the personal freedom. It's really a mixed bag because, you know, blue states tend to be better on criminal justice, um, and marijuana and maybe gambling and alcohol a little bit. And then red states tend to be better on guns, education, um, you know, a a few of those types of issues. So it's, it's at tobacco for sure. Red states are better than blue states. So really, there's kind of a there's not a strong relationship between partisanship and uh, and and the sum total of personal freedom.
0: And so, so for economic freedom, then you tend to see that more in the red states, and you said the purple states as well tend to not yeah. be necessarily that different. That's right. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Like
1: Florida and New Hampshire are both kind of purple states. They're not strongly red. In in fact, New ah. Hampshire has. Voted for a Democrat for president for the last twenty years or so, uh, all the way since two thousand. Um, but they have a, they do have um, Republican control at the state level, and uh, and we've seen a lot of increase in freedom there. So New Hampshire since twenty ten, New Hampshire's had the third highest increase in freedom, um, and it's you know it's not a coincidence that twenty ten was the big year when you saw. Republicans take over state government, not just in New Hampshire, but a lot of other places.
0: So what are the kind of updates that you guys have published in this edition? Um, you have housing, right? Abortion, you have COVID, you know, some of those things, like what what have you written about there?
1: Yeah. So on COVID, we write about the experiences of the state during the pandemic with COVID-related policies, as well as the kind of knock-on effects of COVID for other state policies. Um fortunately, all those stay-at-home orders and mask mandates uh, have all gone away now in all states. Um, but there were states that had lockdowns in 2021, you know, long after the initial wave of the pandemic, long after it was kind of clear that the pandemic was not literally the Black Death, you know, it was not... It was not a yeah. case where <laughs> we were all going to die if we didn't stay at home. So, um, you know, Hawaii was was extra crazy. They uh, prohibited visitors to the state entirely for for quite some time. Um, so we we look at that, and, and in general, what's interesting is that the states that um, got um, got back to business quickly or just did not have really strict pandemic policies in the first place tended to be states that are also high on our freedom index so New Hampshire Florida South Dakota um, Arizona uh, North Dakota these are all states that um, also score highly for locked so-called lockdown freedom right they, they didn't they didn't lock down hard
0: <laughs> right that makes uh, sense yeah. right it was more of like a, a personal agency, kind of mindset, right? If there's more personal freedom across other um, <clears throat> other factors that you look at, then that would make sense. That would be pretty consistent with that, right?
1: Yeah, I guess these states just have more of a culture of freedom in state government. Um, and so I take a lesson from this, which is that even though these policies are gone for now, who knows what the next emergency is going to be? Uh, That will be an excuse for governments to try to take away your freedom. But what we do know is that those states that respect more of your freedom now are probably those who are going to be more respectful of your freedom later if we have an emergency like that. Um, So those are the types of places you might want (laughs) to think about living in.
0: Yeah, and this is what's really cool is you've got this great virtual tool. I'm going to put it up here so that people can see it. But you can actually go in and you can check, you know, different states, what they look like. Uh, you can kind of figure out for yourself, you know, what are your priorities, I guess, as well, because you're talking about there are certain uh, impingements on personal freedom or economic freedom—you know—in the red, the blue, the purple states, and they tend to kind of prioritize different things. So here, you can say, "What are my priorities?" I guess. Yeah. Uh, and where can I go? You know, I mean, I, in a perfect world, I would love it if, uh, you know, everybody could could just choose the kind of things that they wanted to do, regardless <laughs> of whether it was red or blue or purple. But it makes yeah. sense that there's kind of, you know, states that lean towards different priorities and things that they, you know, um, want to crack down on, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, so you can find our full data set there. You can download it. If you're uh, handy with spreadsheets, you can even change the weights and create your own personalized freedom index. Um, we also do a little bit of this with the abortion policies, because we think that um, the there are multiple pro-freedom positions on abortion, depending on when you think a fetus gains personhood. Right. And that's kind of beyond the scope of our study. Like no one really knows for sure. Uh, That would be like
0: making your moral judgment about it. Right. So here trying to remain, you know, be more
1: neutral. Exactly. We're trying to be neutral and let people, um, you know, depending on their own assumptions, come up with their own index. So we have in there a pro-life index, a moderate pro-choice index, and a strong pro-choice index, um, and so we we measure that for abortion. But we also create an overall freedom index. It's based on those different assumptions. Um, so, you know, you can you can check that out. It's in the it's in the the, the downloadable PDF. So we have a, a PDF that's free of the entire book. Um, so if you really want to print copy. You can order it on on Amazon, but you can also just find it on the website, which is uh, freedominthe50states.org, freedominthe50states.org.
0: So this is a tool that can be used for individuals. Uh, It can be used to vote with your feet, right? It can be used to write to your representatives. Um, In what other ways can this be used as a tool, maybe not just for ordinary individuals, but in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've used it to advise policymakers. Uh, So policymakers often come to us uh, to ask for input on how to boost their freedom score. Uh, Sometimes they also ask us to uh, change our methodology so they look better. That's (laughs) That, that's <laughs> happened more than once, but. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> again, we try to be as objective and scientific as possible. Hey, we'll take suggestions from anywhere. If, if the suggestion is, why don't you include this variable that clearly affects freedom? Then we're likely mm. to actually take that suggestion. Um, and that's how the how the, the project has gotten so huge. Is that we've taken a lot of such suggestions uh, in the past. Um, but yeah, we, we actually weight all our variables by. The actual dollar value impact on freedom. So again, that really ties our hands and just says, you know, we're objectively weighting these, um, you know, according to what the literature says is the is the impact of each variable. But you know, that that may not work for you, depending on what you're interested in. I mean, we were very surprised, talking about surprises in the in the index, we were very surprised at how important gambling is to Americans. <laughs> Americans spend a ton of money on gambling. And so gambling wow. policy ends up being 4% of the index, um, hmm. even though Will and I aren't that interested in it at all. So, <laughs> so we were surprised by that. But it's, it's true. Some states have very little legal gambling, if any. Some states have a lot of legal gambling. Um, so there's huge variation and so if that matters to you, it's, it's a big deal. Um, but maybe it doesn't matter to you at all, in which case you could zero that out and see how the Freedom Index would change. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it actually doesn't change that much. You know, we've played around with this a lot, trying to see how robust it is, how robust are the rankings. It's very hard to get a, a significantly different ranking. You're not going to end up with New York in the top half. Uh, No matter how you define freedom, (laughs) you you know, unless it's uh, the one thing New York is good on, which is, I I can't even think of it right now. There (laughs) there is one thing New York is near the top in.
0: Oh man, that's so sad. It's really sad actually. But I mean, it's cool that you're able to see here kind of, you know, what are the best places Mm. for freedom? What are the worst? You can make those decisions for yourself. So overall... With these, you know, 230 policies that you're looking at to weight the freedom, is this kind of, is this the way to view it that it's really policies that are affecting people's freedom? And so like, if, if you want to have more freedom in your life, in your state, it's the policies that actually need to change. Is that the kind of bottom line for you and for Will?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that is the bottom line. And and maybe when you take a look at this, you'll see that government affects your life in more ways than you previously thought. I mean, there are some things in here that are fairly obscure. They're not hot button political issues, but they're still a significant impact on your life. Like, um, I mean, occupational licensing is one, but another one that people don't talk about very much is, um, automobile insurance and homeowners insurance regulations. I mean, that, you know, it's very dry. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know we don 't mm-hmm. like to
1: talk about that very much it 's not certainly not a hot button political issue, but it you know it's a lot of money involved and um you know how your state chooses to regulate these things can affect what you pay and um you know and whether it 's even available to you so you know some states, they really strictly regulate what insurers can charge you know what premiums they can charge for insurance, and so that makes it so that you know people who are kind of worse risks. Uh, maybe their home is in a flood zone or their um, you know, or, or a hurricane area, or they they have a lot of, you know, um tickets or something. And so their car insurance, you know, they're not a good risk for car insurance. Um, sometimes those people can't get insurance at all. And so they end up having to rely on these state um, you know, kind of residual insurer of last resort options that are very expensive and not customer friendly at all. So, hmm. you know, it's a you know, again, just one, one example of a fairly obscure issue that nevertheless will hit your pocketbook. And so you kind of thinking, looking at, at all of these areas, I mean, my takeaway is you want a state that's overall good on freedom because there's so many ways that your freedom could be affected by government. Um, you can't just single out one single issue or a handful of issues, you really have to look at, look at all of them.
0: And so if that's, you know, kind of the, the way of looking at things is these policies really affect our freedoms. Like how can, how can people change the policies? Like how much, how much agency and, and how much power do individuals have when it comes to these things? How can they go about making change in their own state?
1: Yeah. Well, in general, you're going to have a bigger influence on your state legislator and your governor than you would on um, your congressperson or your president, <laughs> right? So um, so you can make a difference at the state level, especially in sort of smaller states or states with smaller districts where, mm-hmm. you know, often you can get to know your representative personally um, and you can propose legislation. You can tell them, hey, this is something I really care about. Could you put in a bill for me? I mean, in, in, I know New Hampshire, best. That's where I moved to after we started doing this study, and New Hampshire was scoring highly. I lived in New York. I lived in Buffalo, New York. So I moved from the number mm. fifty state to what is now the number one state, um, and uh, and you know saw a big <laughs> big decrease in tax burden and, and a lot of other freedoms. But um, but in New Hampshire, it's very easy to get a hold of your representative and say, I I want. You know, I want to pass this legislation in fact, I did that i I wanted to change one little small law that um doesn't affect a whole lot, but it just seems like such a an absurd thing um we had a a law that required um moving companies household goods movers um to to get a license <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, and the um, state department would consult incumbent companies about whether to give a license or not. And so, wow, n- yeah, so it was kind of like a may issue sort of license. Like, you if you wanted to, to do this business, you wouldn't necessarily get the license. And so, I said to, to a state rep, um, could you file a bill that would uh get rid of that and make it a shall issue license? So, you just have to pay a little fee uh, prove that you're bonded and that's it. You can open a, a moving company. Uh, and, uh, and, and the bill, uh, sailed through the legislature, got signed by the governor and is now law. So this is the kind of thing you can do in a smaller state. So that's one way you can have an impact. But if you, if you feel like you can't have that impact or there's just too much, uh, weighing on your freedom where you live now, you could always move. You know, that's, <laughs> that's one great freedom that Americans have. And, uh, you know, a lot of Americans are exercising it. We we definitely see that controlling for climate and everything else that affects um, where people choose to live in America, freer states are attracting people. I mean, South Dakota is attracting people. People are flooding to South Dakota. Why are people flooding to South Dakota? <laughs> it's not the weather. It's not, yep. you know, pretty mountains. I mean, there are some in the western part of the state, but the part that's growing most rapidly is the eastern part of the state, and it's like a flat prairie. Um, but people are moving there because there's economic opportunity. It's it's the freedom.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, you've only got one life here, right? So you can uh, you could just choose your choose your life around the weather and around what you know, uh, or you can you know take a leap into the unknown and actually give yourself some opportunities that you might have not had somewhere else. So this is really interesting, Jason. Um, you're also founder of the free state project in New Hampshire. So, you know, you've, you've done it yourself, as you said, voted with your feet and there's a lot of changes being made there. Um, a lot of improvements and it's number one on the, uh, on the index. So, uh, any last thoughts that you have for our listeners today?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would just say, uh, check it out, check out the website, freedominthe50states.org. And we love hearing from readers. Uh, so, if you have suggestions about how to improve the the index, uh, we're all ears. Um, but also, if you have ways to kind of bring it to the attention of policymakers in your state, uh, that's a great idea to kind of look up where your state um, ranks and, and why, and then maybe get active to to change it.
0: Sounds great. Thank you so much, Jason.
1: Thank you, Kate.